This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. When you grow up in a minority community, you develop certain jokes that only really fit within that community. For my Jewish friends and I, that was using the term Jew as an adjective. Now, I recognize that referring to our school as Jew school isn't exactly the height of comedy, but kids will be kids. However, that exact usage of the term Jew is also used by anti-Semites in a much less goofy way. When I went to college and became surrounded by folks of all religions, I quickly realized that I'd need to curb this particular language quirk or risk at least giving folks the wrong impression and at worst, giving power to a harmful and insidious belief. In this week's story, teller Madeline Burdenko shares her own experience with an unintentional insult that led her to reflect on how, even within one's own community, language matters. Recorded live at Pub 626 in December 2018, Second Story is proud to present Jew-ish. We were sitting around a low coffee table at a wine bar in Noble Square about seven or eight years ago. Somehow, onto the tiny mauve Victorian era sofa, we had squeezed my boyfriend Mark, me, and our best friends Peter and Chelsea. Across the coffee table in two chairs sat new faces. Mark and I had been invited to tag along to meet Peter and Chelsea's other friends, Wayne and Rachel. I did not know these other friends. I was maybe a little intimidated by them. They were both University of Chicago grads like Peter and Mark, super smart, well-read, kind, a teacher and a nonprofit organizer. Mark was also a teacher. I worked at a nonprofit too. The new friends laughed with Peter and Chelsea and talked about all the fun they've had together without Mark and me. It had been a long Friday and I probably wasn't the best company. So where are you from? I half yelled across the table. The bar had turned up the jazz music now that it was past 9 p.m. It was full and noisy, so we leaned in to hear each other. Rachel looked down and then away from me at the ceiling. Oh, near Indianapolis. Oh, really? Where near Indianapolis? I'm from near Kokomo. This is normally how people from small rural towns or the suburbs geolocate how much someone actually cares about where they're from. Zionsville, she said, and I gasped. You're from Zionsville? I went to camp in Zionsville. She turned her head and looked at me from the corner of her eye. Me too. Goldman Union Camp Institute? Yes, Gucci! We both laughed and suddenly had lots to talk about. Gucci is a reformed Jewish summer camp located just west of Indy, right next to an organic dairy farm. I had gone there for three summers, each summer staying four weeks. My first was before my bat mitzvah, and my last was when I aged out of being a camper. I was a first session Kala Aleph kid, and she was a second session Kala Bet. So we didn't know a lot of the same people, save for some camp rats, aka children of rabbis who worked at the camp, so they were there all summer. Now I have realized that camp means many different things to different people, depending on where you live and what kind of camp it was. But Gucci, it looks a lot like the camp from a parent trap, the parent trap, but full of Jews. And there were loads of secular camp activities, but also lots of Jewy things like sprinkled in. 
We sang Sweet Caroline, but we also sang Odia Voshalom Alenu. We, had, <clears throat> we called the bathroom the Beit Shemush and rest time Menucha. We had fried chicken on Friday nights for Shabbat, which I did not know was a Jewish thing, but I was totally 100% there for it. And oh my God, there was Israeli dancing and friendship bracelets and bat mitzvah tutoring and color wars. It changed my life. See, learning, was a, learning Rachel was a member of this tribe was exciting, a little bit like stepping back in time. I hadn't seen anyone from camp in ages, and my post-camp life wasn't exactly the big Jewish experience that camp was. When I told Rachel I was from near Kokomo, a city of about 50,000 people, what I meant was I was from a tiny town of 2,300, about 10 miles east, surrounded by corn and soybeans on all four sides. To be fair, Kokomo is also surrounded by corn and soybeans on all sides if you zoom out far enough. And so is most of Indiana, but uh, maybe that description doesn't actually help much. Uh, but imagine a town with only one stoplight. A high school graduating class of 98, my family the only Jews nearby, and after Kokomo, where we were part of a small synagogue, maybe a 10 to uh, 50 to 100 mile radius before you met another Jewish person. And this may not have felt like a big deal uh, in the day-to-day, -day, but my family because my family didn't keep kosher or strict Shabbat rules, but bump up to a holiday and there it is. And in my public school, turn a corner and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes was having a meeting in the cafeteria. Look the other way and Mr. Nicholson is leading the Lord's Prayer to start class. Mr. Heck, the history teacher, had a giant quote on the back wall referencing something George Washington said about God once. Growing up in the age of WWJD bracelets, I fielded a lot of questions about my Jewishness. <laughs> so you're Jewish? Yes. So both of your parents are Jewish? How did they like find each other? <clears throat> this was a typical and fair question. I was, I was, as I was the first Jew most adults, let alone children, in my school had met. Well, I'd say, my mom is Jewish and my dad isn't, but in Judaism, if your mom is Jewish, then you're totally Jewish. People would say, oh, and nod with raised eyebrows. I clung to this answer for the rest of my childhood. And my family affirmed this belief for me as I grew up. The small synagogue we went to in Kokomo had maybe 10 to 15 families. That synagogue was comprised of folks who had come to Judaism from a bunch of different paths. Families where a grandparent had been Jewish, families where the father was Jewish and the mother was supporting the rest and exploring this part of their heritage, even one Christian family where a teenager was wanting to convert. My mom would joke that there were whole Jews and half and half Jews and 2% Jews at the temple. This wasn't meant in a mean way, but when we had moved there after attending a much bigger synagogue in a college town, it was tough to adjust to a much smaller place where it took everyone's participation all the time. My extended family on my mom's side all live in the Chicago area, so we would retreat to Skokie for as many holidays as we could and revel in the easy access to all things that for us meant Jewish culture, that we were used to, that felt harder or impossible to cultivate at home. Fresh sesame bagels from New York Bagel and Bialy on Tui Avenue, matzo ball soup made with real schmaltz by my gammy, and the whole family, 20 of us, gathered around the table at Passover as the youngest member sang the four questions, the oldest grandchild opening the door for Elijah. 
So when I came back from summer camp that first year, I was like in my element. <laughs> Wrists full of friendship bracelets, tan and a head of frizzy hair. I wore my Gucci t-shirts with pride. I brought back prayer song harmonies that the people at my temple had never even heard of. I wore this affirmed identity even stronger than before, writing my name in Hebrew in the inside of my school folders. Back in the wine bar, I was high on Jewish geography. Did you go to Temple Beth El Zedek in Indianapolis for high holidays? Well, I, I went there for the bat mitzvahs of a few camp friends. That temple is so beautiful. Did you do avodah at camp or become a counselor? No, I, me neither. My parents wanted me to get a real summer job instead of paying to plunge toilets on avodah, but it's hot, it was so hard not going back there. And then I shared my history with Rachel of my struggle to find community for my family in Indiana, and then said, because, you know, so many of the people at my temple weren't born to Jewish moms, so they aren't, like, technically Jewish. As the words left my mouth, I heard them, saw them, float across the table, hitting Rachel in her face. Her eyebrows drew in, her eyes looked down to the side, and I swear I saw the, her face muscles take the hit. For a split second, I thought, that was okay. She's Jewish, she gets it. And the next second, her eyes were back looking at mine. Actually, my mom isn't Jewish and my dad is, and I experienced a lot of prejudice at camp because of it. I felt so awful. I wanted to run. My face got hot and I started apologizing profusely. My Jewish pride now felt weirdly like poison and my brain started shoving forward memories I didn't want to see. Here, Madeline, remember how you took safety and gossip at camp about another girl in your cabin who was from Tennessee and her dad was her Jewish parent? Remember the lost look on her face during the Birkat Hamazon, the long prayer after meals? Remember how you too felt uncomfortable and lacking when you first got to camp, how other kids' Jewishness seemed bigger than your own? Remember how your sister talked about not fitting in at camp her physical features more like our dad's, skinny as a rail with fair skin and smooth, straight light hair. Think back to visiting Hillel, the Jewish center at college for the first time and seeing so many people from camp who were part of larger Jewish communities who didn't seem to recognize you or remember you. All of these painful things, how in small ways you tried to bolster your own identity at the expense of others. Rachel politely accepted my poorly articulated groveling apology, but I didn't expect to be quickly forgiven. I had perpetuated a stupid, stupid stereotype and tradition, one that I couldn't really even explain why it was important. There's a quote from a book of Jewish ethical teachings that, loosely translated, says, we do not have to complete the work of mending the world, but we are not free from participating in it. When I saw Rachel at the next social event a few months later, she gave me a small smile and turned to speak to someone else. I still felt horrible about what had happened, <clears throat> but it felt weird to bring it up, so later I tried to start a conversation about other things. How's your classroom this year? Good, I have a lot of students, but they're a good group, I think. Did you get to do any traveling this summer? We went to visit Wayne's family on the East Coast, it was nice. Cool, well, it's really nice to see you again. I turned and fled to another room at the party. 
I don't know about you, but I could not tell much from this. Did she hate me? Did she even remember what had happened? I don't know. Maybe she was just a decent human who didn't know me that well. I'm still grappling with what I thought I knew as a common language among Jews, a language that can actually be very isolating. Instead, I'm learning that I should just start from a place of kindness and listening, regardless of our point of origin. I think mending can happen there too. This story was produced by Gracie Meyer, curated by Jess Kadish, and directed by Max Spitz, with music and sound design by Elisa Rosenthal. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this... This, this is the Second, second Story Podcast.